Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer or on the Montag Manufacturing website. Today, I'd like to introduce Lauren Steinlogge, an award-winning no-tiller from West Union, Iowa. Lauren will be discussing technology to manage cover crops between rows of cash crops and cover crop management tips. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thanks for having us. To get us started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your farm? Oh, I'm a farmer here in West Union, Iowa. Started farming when I was 1985, I guess, in the heart of the 80s crisis. And I'm, I'm not that bright, so I buy into farm during that time frame. Started out, uh, we were a strong dairy farm, light, heavy on the livestock emphasis, but over the years, I, I've had to get away from the livestock and that, so cropping and that has become my focus, but my true passion is uh, working with equipment, trying to learn how to make equipment work better in the ex- instances that we're using it. You know, I, I, I'm to the point now, you know, I took a job with uh, Dawn Equipment here three years ago, full-time, and part of my job there is to help figure out how to make the tools work better for the farmers. And, you know, one of the highlights this year already is I spent a couple of days down in Mississippi just going farm to farm, helping the guys understand what their problem was and learning how to make something work better. Great. Well, let's go ahead and, and jump right to our topic for today. Um, why, why do you feel like herbicides are the easy button when it comes to cover crop termination? Well, I think they were the easy button would probably be the way to term that. I mean, this year, especially, I think a lot of people are starting to realize, you know, between the herbicide effectiveness and losing effectiveness, resistance, and just the overall price of the herbicides this year, we've got to start going back to basics and learn, you know, bringing forth some of the old principles, I guess, that'd be the way I would describe it. You know, fortunately for me, we, we recognize this, I'd say probably six, seven years ago, you know, we, we, we started, you know, we were challenged to help with some organic testing and stuff like that. So I really started, you know, the road mow was kind of our introductory to the options. You know, we, we always knew uh, cultivators and stuff were there, but I really don't want to disturb the soil. So we know we've got to figure out better options. And then in the presentation we're going to do here, we're, we're going to we're going to cover a lot of ground on that stuff. Awesome. And we're going to kind of preview some of those topics in our discussion today. So you mentioned uh, that you think that maybe growers are creating their own issues. Can you expand a little bit on that? Well, just some of the observations we've been seeing over the last several years, you know, if if you really start to focus on them little details, you know, what does, even your simple thing as your row cleaner, what does that do for your overall weed control spectrum? You know, just, are we seeding a lot of our weeds? 
you know, are we helping, you know, hurting our disease control aspect? You know, it, it's more than just weeds that we're all fighting. You know, there, there's, if you start thinking in the future, you know, what, what are we going to be facing? You know, I think the path is kind of laid out in front of us. It's just, we need to be thinking ahead how we can react to that. Great. So, um, what are some perhaps biological controls that growers should consider when it comes to managing weeds between rows or, or managing cover crops between uh, rows of cash crops? Probably the simplest one that most people recognize is CRI and the leliopathy effect. You know, in some of our testing and has affected the way reason we do some of our cropping, you know, if you start paying attention in my fields, I've seen, you know, the, the herbicide action up to 12 inches away from the actual rye plant. So start thinking how that can work into your cropping system, you know, and that's why we've evolved to the twin row setup and stuff like that. But it's even beyond that, you know, a couple of years ago, I brought forth the ecological succession chart, you know, and I thought, man, I was really onto something. And well, the next speaker was Nicole Masters. And, you know, she just laid into it. You know, she, she took the whiteboard and she just started, you know, okay, if I do this, this happens. If I do that, that happens. You know, how, what happens during a reset? All that stuff, if you really start paying attention to them little details, affects how our weed control spectrums respond. Why, why do we have foxtail? You know, nobody went out there and seeded it in the first place. You know, uh, buttonweed is another thing. You move a building and you got buttonweed there. Where did that come from? You know, it, it's them natural triggers. That seed is somewhere in the seed bank. You know, what is the actual trigger for it to germinate? You know, part of, part of what's really getting me enthralled is one of the products we're going to talk about late in the presentation. To do that, we had to do a biological essay where they actually took a soil sample and counted all the weed seeds in a cubic foot of soil or whatever the dimension was. And it was just mind boggling how many weed seeds are actually in the soil. And you, you know, you dig up the soil and you're like, Where, where's this seed? We, we see the seed when it's fresh, but how does it last a hundred years? You know, go, goes back to what I said about, you know, the buildings and the, you know, if you tear out a foundation, the, the buttonweed is the first one to come out. You know, how did that last a hundred years? You know, we, we can't even get corn seed and bean seed good germination for two to three years, let alone you know, nature can get a hundred years out of it. So, you know, that, that, that's just some of the fun part. You know, I think, I think we're going to be coming to a stage of farming where the mental gymnastics is probably going to pay bigger di dividends than the products we can buy. That makes a lot of sense. In organic production, which I know you, you mentioned that you have a few fields that are organic. Um, hand weeding has been a, a traditional option of pulling weeds, but what are some maybe tech options that uh, will be coming down the pike that growers uh, can use in the future? Well, that, that's where the robotics and some of that is really going to start coming into play. I mean, there's lasers out there. There's, you know, mechanical hand picking weeders. There's all mower style ones coming in that but you know clint brower greenfield robotics i've talked to him several times 
one of the best things he told me is you really need, when you start thinking about some of that stuff, you need to start focus on the weed density. You know, everybody likes that little, you know, the sea and spray technology, you know, that's coming on the herbicide, but you know, they've also, some people are working on like a laser that will spot burn a weed. Well, if you start looking at some of the weed spectrums we're facing, how many weeds per square foot is there? In, in some instances, that's, you know, when, when I talk about we're going to need to be thinking different modes of action on some of these weeds, that's kind of where some of that's coming from. You know, can you, you know, what kind of power demand will it take to spot, you know, spot burn with a laser 100,000 plants per acre? versus you know what one of my favorite tool right now is the enroll roller that we're working on it's just the old kids kiss principle keep it simple and is that the ultimate tool no but it is a tool that we can get to producers right now and solve two or three different problems at one shot and you know the knife option that came out this year is a prime example it's adaptable you know some weeds are going to take a roll crimper some are going to take a knife, you know, with just that simple option add on, we can do both. Now, best part about that product is I can run it early in the season. I can run it late in the season. You know, we're, we're going to, we're even using it to seed cover crops if we get behind, you know, cause we can, at that point, we can just broadcast cover crops, run that roller chopper over there, get a nice residue mat on top of the seed and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the future, I think. All right. What is revegetation and, and how can growers leverage that concept on their farms? A revegetation is where you start thinking ahead and, you know, how can I put a plant where the weed would want to be? And that, that sounds extreme, but how many of us have been thinking about interseeding cover crops? You know, for me, that mindset came back in 2006. You know, back then the tech support line was pretty, pretty limited. It took us all the way to 2012 to really start understanding what it was going to take to make that happen. But as soon as we did, hey, it works on every acre now. You know, every acre of corn we have, we're probably going to have interseed in it. And we start using different plants to prevent weeds and stuff like that. You know, as we learned how to manage that, that's what led into the relay cropping or the companion cropping. You know, now we're not using just cover crops to prevent weeds, but we're actually getting to the point where we're turning our cover crops into cash crops. And, you know, one of the age old questions, how do we make cover crops pay? Well, if you start using them as a cash crop, that, that works. Plus, you know, as we start getting the mindset of the companion crop, you know, if we get to the point where we're growing three to four or five different crops in the field all the time, that brings the diversity aspect to it. And the, the weeds just don't have a chance at that point because you're constantly keeping something growing there, keeping the canopy, keeping the cover. You know, that, that's you move way beyond just the biological, you know, you kind of bring all, the, all of them into one, the biological, the ecological, the mechanical, all that combines into one. So you mentioned uh, turning cover crops into cash crops. What might be some examples of that um, with different species? Well, one, one of the craziest things we've been working on the past year is uh, take with wide row corn that we've kind of played with the last several years. 
We are now trying to plant vegetables in between there with the ideal of eventually harvesting them. And the reason I I'm pretty excited about that is it kind of separates our seasons where we get in there, take care of the corn crop, June 15th, come in and plant the vegetables, which would be about when we dinner seed. Hey, plant the vegetables in there September 15th, harvest the vegetables, come in and harvest your corn. You've got all the diversity and stuff like that in place. Our biggest problem is Mother Nature fought us pretty hard on that, and uh, we'll figure it out. Give us a couple more years. I can't wait to hear more about that in a few years. Um, so, of course, the next logical step in, in this spectrum, if you will, with cover crops is perennial cover crops. Um, talk a little bit about your experiences with perennial cover crops. Uh, perennials is something we kind of stumbled upon. And then as we started researching it, there's plenty of guys kind of trying to go down the path. I mean, for us, it will, we'll start with an interseeding corn. I, you know, I'm, I used to be heavy corn on corn. So the easy cover crop for me was clovers and legumes and stuff like that, which would really help on our corn on corn situation. Well, a lot of people want to figure out when they're going to terminate a cover crop we've moved more to the mindset where we're going to try to suppress a cover crop and just keep, okay, I don't have to kill something. You get to that mindset and how can I punish it just hard enough where it suppresses it, but not kills it. You know, and it, it, it's, I hate to say this, but it's almost like a sadistic mindset where it gets to be a little torture chamber and you, you start like, okay, how far can I take this without killing it? and nurse it along just enough to get it to the next season. You know, and some of that's kind of the, the crazy mindset we're working with here because, okay, if I can start nursing a crop from year to year while doing a cash crop, what's my cover crop expenses at that point? You know, oh, by the way, we've taken as far as like in corn, we'll do delay termination or stunt, you know, we've tried to use gramoxone, you name it, but that's really where the in-roll roller is starts to shine. You know, just in one or two days, the nitrogen production on clovers can double. You know, so as, you know, this year is going to be a prime example. If I can learn how to manage nitrogen and I don't have to buy it, that's going to become key. Oh, by the way, if you're starting to pay attention on this carbon thing, everybody wants to talk you know, the sequestration programs, well, what about when we got to start paying like a carbon penalty or something like that? Nitrogen is one of our highest carbon use products. If you're going to stay in corn production, you've got to start thinking, how do I manage that? All right. So um, what about using a controlled traffic type approach to managing weeds between cover crops and, and cash crops? Well, we, we've been controlled traffic since 2009, I think it was. And that, that was actually when I started seeing what was happening in some of our fields with the delayed termination, when we were using herbicide as our delayed termination, I started seeing our tram lines and how they reacted versus the rest of the field. And you start, that's where kind of some of the suppression mindset comes in. 
you know, our tram lines were a lot easier to maintain and manage than the whole field. So, you know, we drive a weed down, that's almost like a roller. And, you know, it just kind of built from there. And, you know, and that's where, like I said, you know, suppressing a weed is a lot easier than terminating it with a herbicide or something like that. And then you start looking at some of the society ben benefits from that. And, you know, some of that's going to come back to the exudates. Some, you know, if you get some of the smarter people talking, you start paying attention to all that. And that that's how we're, if you're going to start reducing fertility and stuff like that, that all helps the big picture. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer or on the Montag Manufacturing website. And now, back to the podcast. Another possible option is mowing between cash crop rows to help suppress that cover crop. Um, talk a little bit about your experiences with that and, and what mowing looks like. Well, working with Dawn Equipment there, we, you know, that was some of the early testing that I did with them is the row mow. And we, we tried, well, I know there's four different versions out there, you know, tried with a rotary first and then the impeller and then a sickle and then back to the rotary design just for simplicity in that. And I like what it does, but I also dislike some of the things that, you know, number one, it's high, high dollars. You know, it, it takes a lot of power. It takes a lot of moving parts, but probably the biggest thing that I forgot to address earlier was, uh, you got to, if you're starting to think long-term weed control, maintaining your residue mat's key. And when you mow something versus roll it, you shattered into a thousand pieces and it disintegrates and you lose your residue mat. So that's probably one of the things that I really dislike about it. And if, if you're really starting to push the limit there, you know, I talked with uh, Rick Clark and John Kempf a little bit this winter some of the problem with that is as you shred them pieces apart, you start volatizing some of your minerals and stuff like that. And when you volatize them, they're going. You can't you recycle them. All right. So um, some of the more fun uh, options that you talked about was um, like burning uh, weeds and that approach. Talk a little bit about that. Um, some of our, our listeners may not have heard of that before. Well, some, some of the stuff we do is not for the faint at heart. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that we used Gramoxone in standing corn. You know, we, we've tried, you know, I know Rodale Institute, they're playing with fire, the, the weed zapper, the weed burner, all that. And it gives a new meaning to burn down when you start thinking that aspect. You know, when you light a whole field on fire, that, that, this, that, that, yes, we all try to farm in nature's image, but we need to remember fire was a part of nature's image and I don't advise it for your average person. I will say that, but when you're trying to learn, as I've said many times, if, if you're not afraid to push it to the limit, that's when you're going to learn. 
All right. Um, what about uh, Mike Shooter's hot water weeder? What is what is that concept? Uh, basically, a couple of years ago, Mike had the concept to use steam to kill weeds. And I know that's been out there, but Mike is about the only one that I know that's trying to take it to field scale. And, you know, I think it's a very viable thing, but it's it's got a steep learning curve just for the simple fact that uh, it takes a lot of power to create pressure and steam, you know, how do you scale that? And, you know, anybody can try it at home to see the effects, boil a pot of water and go pour it on a weed. And you'll quickly see how effective it is. It's pretty dang effective, but how to, you know, how to get the efficiency is the long-term hurdle I see on that. What about um, using light to kill weeds? That was a pretty interesting topic. Well, that, that's one of the things I'm most excited about. And that was kind of the highlight to the whole presentation. I'm just sitting here thinking I forgot to tell you guys one of the neatest parts about that tool. They're using a UAV and I, I don't know, all the blue lights and different wavelengths and all it, it, it's just really neat technology if you get a chance to talk to the people you know we we got introduced to it on the combine side where they're actually burning weeds but uh if you ever get the chance you know we had them at our field day this past year and you know if we have a versatile tool suddenly you know the only way i can describe it is like dragging a tanning bed across the field but if we have a tool that we can use pre-plant you know, you can get as narrow as four inches, any increment of four inches. So you could do a four, eight, four inch or an eight inch band ahead of the planter and then manage in between the rows. That's one option. Or you can flip flop it, burn in between the rows. That's another option. But the after harvest option is the part that I forgot to touch on. You can actually after harvest, drag it across the field, stimulate all the weed seeds, and then either mother, mother Nature takes care of them with frost or you drag the machine back over and kill the weeds as they emerge. You know, it, it, it's, it's the tool I'm probably the most excited about long term. And like I said, it, it's one of those you almost have to see it to believe it. And, you know, I, I've been aware of it for probably two, three years now. You know, well, actually five, six years ago, I first heard about it when I did the UW presentation but never knowing how close it was going to be and how involved we were going to be in its progress. And, you know, part, part of, you know, if guys are looking at, if they want to really want to start paying attention to technology, the ag launch program is something I'm heavily involved in, you know, farm journals, stuff like that's all involved in there, but it's a farmer led movement where they're working with venture capital to, they got a team of farmers. The farmer network is the key to it, where you actually we do the testing for some of the new companies and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that technology as it comes uh, to market. So with all of these different technological solutions, of course, what are some of the negatives to using some of those approaches? Probably the biggest negatives is going to be the developmental cost on a lot of them. You know, and that, that, that's, that's where my mindset, you know, we, we start with the extremes, and, but it's usually best to narrow it down and get the simple products out first, but keep working on the, the future products. 
you know, that, that's where the research and development really comes in. You know, like I said, you know, the Romo is a great ideal, but the Enroll Roller was the quick to market product. Can we keep improving on that? Definitely. You know, but in the meantime, you know, we want to keep looking at the Romos or, you know, the steam or in, in this light source technology. I mean, that, that's something I don't think anybody thought of even five years, you know, five, 10 years ago. So as we move forward, the technology is going to catch up is my premises. You know, how, how do we keep moving forward at the same time as we're actually producing a crop for most people is going to be the key. All right. So one of those, uh, you mentioned old school type approaches, of course, is grazing, which is great for soil health as well. Um, what would be some examples of implementing grazing in a, an operation to help control the cover crops as well as weeds um, between rows? I mean, if we go the technology side, I mean, one, one of the prog products that I'm excited about is like the Vents, which is a European company, or I think there's a couple other ones now where they call them virtual fencing. You know, can you do that in row crop is going to be the hard question to ask people long-term, but you know, for right now, testing wise, we can do a lot with electric fence or, you know, I know underground ag, we've got the, uh, the in-row robots and that where they're running chicken tractors, sheep tractors, whatever you want to call them, down in between the rows grazing. Scalability is going to be something to think about on that stuff. You know, I like the ideal, but how do we, you know, long term, we need to be thinking how your average producer is going to bring that to forefront. Like I said, you know, the that's part of the challenge. We're trying to help establish numbers right now. You know, I, I like the Rick Clark version, but I also like the diverse option. You know, Rick Clark and Dan DeSutter, they, you know, their biggest asset is they got the livestock that they can use to clean up any mistakes. You know, but they, you know, Rick talks about the regen year. Well, that's what we got to figure out. How do you compete with, you know, can you afford to set a field aside and graze it? Or can a guy figure out how to graze in between the standing crop? that, you know, we started that about 2017 with that mindset, but, you know, my, my, my challenge is I can't be around livestock myself. So we've, we've got to rely on other people to help make them projects work. And sometimes when you don't have total control, it takes time. Definitely. Well, um, so you, you just mentioned you had some grazing happening on your property. Um, what species were you grazing and um, what were the results or how did that go after? Uh, this year we had uh, sheep grazing in one area and great, you know, on that field or area of the field, we had up to 90 or 100, 120 inch corn with grazing lanes down between. I mean, I, I guess I'll back all the way up to 2007, I think it was 16 or 17 when we first had the ideal you know, we, we seen the value of the cover crop in the wide row corn. And I happened to go to Ireland that year. And when we landed in Ireland, I was with Chris, Chris Teachout and we saw the sheep and stuff like that. And me and Chris just started talking a little bit and he started telling how he remembers as a kid when they used to get semi loads of ewes and drop them in the corn. Well, the way that worked back then, we were all wire check corn. 
you know, as everybody transitioned to narrower row, you know, row corn or narrow row corn, that option went away because what the old guys told us is sheep need to see daylight ahead. And the reason we focused on sheep, the other reason we focused on sheep was sheep graze down where like goats and that graze up. You know, so you got to start focusing on what the animal does either, you know, or you're going to have to go to more aggressive management with the pens or stuff like that. And, uh, you know, that was just part of the mindset as we move forward. And, you know, this year when we are plucked, kind of have a failure, it's like, well, we got nothing to lose. Let's see how far we can push it. And, uh, you know, so we eventually, long story short is we ended up grazing sheep in standing corn without a fence. But, you know, the key is they could see the sunlight ahead of them and stuff like that. And, you know, I think moving forward, that might be a pretty good option for people to start thinking about. All right. So you mentioned that sometimes things go south when you're working with uh, new technologies or even old technologies like grazing. What are some examples of disasters that have happened in your experiences that turned into an educational experience for you? Oh, I think we figure out something every year. You know, this this past year, you know, some of our weed control, you know, we were playing with the fire and that. Well, Mother Nature threw us the curveball of freezing two or three days after we did the burn down. And, you know, we thought we had had great success and then the frost hit well i'll be darned this fall the clover was still there you know we thought it was a total loss but you know at, at one point we that whole plot we just sprayed it off and i planted beans in there and but i did you know we kept probably 100 by 100 area of it just to see what happened and it was just neat to watch and learn some of that you know on the flip side like the, you know the vegetables that was a total loss i mean I thought I was going to be the first Iowa cotton grower that that ended up in disaster, but I'm not giving up on that stuff. You know, the, some of the vegetables and that, I think we learned enough this year. We probably narrow it down a little more for next year. You know, probably the biggest thing is we got to watch that planning date more. You know, th this year was an anomaly. You know, I'm not going to plan for a May 29th frost every year, you know, normally in my area, May 15th is probably the last frost date, but, uh, you know, we might have to back up to that original mindset. You know, let's, let's wait and plant the vegetable till June 15th. Well, Lauren, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. So you can hear more from Lauren and 11 other great speakers at the upcoming National Cover Crop Summit on March 15th and 16th. To register for this free online event, visit CoverCropStrategies.com. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor. Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer or on the Montag manufacturing website. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.